Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Talk and Shop, the official podcast of the official student newspaper of Florida State University's sports section, the FSU and Florida Flambeau. As always, uh, I'm Logan Grutchfield, and today I'm joined by uh, Erica LaFloria, um, a frequent guest that we've had on here. Uh, Erica, another sports writer for the FSU and Florida Flambeau. Erica, it is always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to be on, especially with this booming spring season. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, we've got a couple of new seasons that we'd like to mention here on this episode. I know we'll be focusing a lot on um, a lot of the women's sports here at FSU um, in, in tonight's episode, um, especially softball. Now, we did see that um, their opening matchup which was supposed to be tomorrow. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday the 10th. Uh, that opening matchup against FAMU um, was canceled. Or I, sh- I should say postponed. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so hopefully that'll be rescheduled. Um, and then so they will actually open their schedule against um, it's either Memphis or Missouri. Um, Memphis on Friday. Memphis on Friday. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for bailing yeah. me out there, Erica. Um, <laughs> But I know in, you know, I I had an interview with Coach Alameda last week and just talking to her about this team, about Team 38, um, they just the, what they have kind of been willing to, I I don't want to say sacrifice. She made a point of this in, in the interview that I had with her. She said, it's not a sacrifice. It is a decision of what we wanted to do to, you know, be able to play, but in terms of, you know, COVID precautions, this team has really, um, I think, taken it, you know, very, very well. Um, they're not eating meals inside. You know, they. she says, um, or Coach Almeida said that they would have, like, these conference calls once a week and kind of say, hey, are we comfortable with doing this or that or whatever? You know, like, are mm-hmm. we good if we go, you know, ride um, the electric scooters around town, for example, was one example that she cited. Um, and just the ability of that team to kind of hold themselves accountable, say, hey, we're comfortable doing this. We're not comfortable doing this. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to say, OK, you know, this is how we want to keep ourselves safe. But it really sounds to me like they have taken that to a whole nother level. And I know that they are really, really excited to play. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that this news is very frustrating for them as they now have to wait one more day. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously having a positive result is n- never a, a good thing, but this, the positive result was in fam use program. So that player has now gone into quarantine and they are doing contact tracing. So um, fortunately for the Seminoles, they will be able to get going on, on Friday. But um, Erica, I know it's been quite a while um, since this team has played. Um, I remember you and I, we were at that, that game against Alabama last year. That was um, yep. <laughs> quite a game. Uh, with that walk-off grand slam. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that you've definitely covered a lot of softball in your time at the FSBU, and I want to get just mm-hmm. some of your thoughts about, you know, what we might expect coming into this season. Yeah, definitely after hearing the news that the family game was postponed, I was a little bummed because, you know, who doesn't love a good same-city rivalry? But they're going to get to kick off the season on Friday against Memphis and just being in the atmosphere 
having my experience there of the Joanne Graf Classic, I can already tell that team is going to be ready and they're going to be pumped for this season. Looking through their schedule before COVID, you know, messed everything up. They ended the season actually last year with a loss to the number seven Florida Gators. So I know that is sitting on Coach Alameda and it's sitting on Danny Morgan and Kaylin Arnold, especially, you know, the seniors of the team and having Coach Alameda, who is so tough and who is so strong when it comes to being a coach for Florida State and what she wants to represent. I can already tell this team is ready to get back on the field and they're ready to turn this season around. Everybody knows what FSU softball is about. They won the national championship in 2018, which is not long ago at all. And I remember talking to Danny Morgan for a season preview of last year. And even then she was saying how much she wanted to win one more national championship before she went. And due to COVID, she's back. She has another senior year. She has another shot. And I can just tell that all of these girls are ready to get back on the field. And the best place to showcase what they've been working on all off season and how hard they are and how impossible they are going to be to beat is going to be at the Joanne Graf Classic this weekend. Absolutely. And then I'm, I'm glad that you talked about um, your interview with Danny Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talked to Coach Almeida about, you know, Danny Morgan was on that team that won in Oklahoma City in 2018. Yeah. So was um, Elizabeth Mason. So was Anna Shellnut. So was Sydney mm-hmm. Sherrill. And so was, uh, I believe, Cassidy Davis. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you, Erica, because these girls were, you know, kind of the, um, you know, they were just getting started. And, yeah. you know, they, they ended up winning a national title in their, their first year at um, FSU. But do you think that their kind of experience, like, you know, we've been there, we've done that. Do you think that that'll add uh, like a hunger at all or, or, or just give some additional perspective mm-hmm. to a team now that has turned over quite a bit from that season? 100%. I've had so many different interviews with the FSU softball program. I'm a huge softball fan myself. So getting to talk to Danny Morgan and the many occasions I've had the opportunity to talk to Coach Alameda, one thing that they both have really said is that the seniors on this team want to see everybody else succeed because they know what it feels like to be at the highest level. They know what it feels like to win at the highest level and they want the freshmen and the sophomore and even the juniors now to feel that same happiness and victory that they got to feel back in 2018 so especially with Danny Morgan I commend her she's an amazing player she is so determined when she gets out there on the field and all these girls want to see each other succeed so I definitely think that these seniors who have another shot to you know, play on the field again, which is crazy that they get a do-over at their senior season. So I know for a fact that they're going to make the most of their senior season. And by doing that, they're going to help out the freshmen and they're going to give more experience and make them look like veterans on the field, even though they're not. Yeah, certainly. I know that they, you know, obviously this is also a very talented group of players Mm -hmm. that are coming back. So Mm -hmm. um, I think that they, you know, should definitely contribute and, you know, obviously off the field, but certainly on the field, they're definitely, you know, the usual suspects for, you know, driving in runs or, or, or really just making big things happen for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, what I wanted to then delve into a little bit 
is going back through last year's schedule, mm-hmm. it did seem like to me that one of the bigger issues, or I shouldn't say a bigger issue, um, but I don't think 17 and seven was where this team expected to be at. Um, mm-hmm. Now I might just be, you know, obviously we had seen a, a pretty high level of success in previous years, but um, it did seem to me like, you know, w- well, we were there for that game against Detroit Mercy. Then we were the yeah. final score was 22, nothing after five. Um, <laughs> it did not seem like the, the offense was the problem. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. Sydney Sherrill was hitting the cover off the ball. Kirsten Landers, I mean, led the team in batting average. He had 358, which is just kind of mind boggling, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had multiple players hitting in the high, um, in the higher 300s, Devin Flaherty and uh, Cassidy Davis included there. But um, it did seem like when this team lost, and also I also realized how much of that, the invitational in, in my hometown in Clearwater, mm-hmm. Florida, I yeah. did not realize that that seemed like it went kind of totally sideways with this team going one and four. Yeah. Um, you know, four or seven losses um, occurred there. So, I mean, I like to think that that was just kind of a, a blip on the radar. But um, it did seem like that, you know, these losses would come when the the offense was certainly there, but it was just, you know, pitching that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of would get behind the eight ball or just give up more runs than the offense was able to, um, mm-hmm. to put up. And I wanted to ask you, you know, um, obviously I think the loss of Megan King was certainly felt last mm-hmm. season. Um, now Kaylin Arnold was extremely successful. Um, mm-hmm. Catherine Sandercock was great too. I know she, was definitely, I think, kind of a victim of that, um, the aberration at that tournament in Clearwater. Um, but some of the, you know, it seemed to me, and I, I, again, I'd like to hear what you have to say, um, you know, some of the uh, pitchers that would be coming in in relief a little more often than not were, um, you know, it were kind of up and down, you know. And then I know there's a few additions this year with uh, – Emma Wilson and Jaya Prasad uh, joining the team and then Danny Watson transferring from Louisville. Um, I wonder if you could give me any idea of, you know, what we could expect from FSU pitching wise. Um, I know Kaylin Arnold and and Catherine Sandercock should figure in pretty, pretty prominently. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've been definitely surprised. I have not seen Cara Billadeau have as big of a role as I think I had expected or she had expected. Um, again, Eric, I, um, I'll turn it over to you and quit rambling here, but I know I've de- it's definitely, you know, something I've been trying to make heads and tails of. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about earlier, last year, we got to see FSU at their peak at the start of the season. When they defeated number one Alabama, I remember ESPN grabbing clips from the game and, you know, it was on SportsCenter all night and that was FSU's peak. They beat the number one team twice. And as the time kind of went on, and as you said in the Clearwater Invitational, that was when FSU was challenged again. They were challenged with the number one team, the number 13 team, and number 23 team, all in consecutive games. And we did kind of see them fall apart. But one thing that I do want to, I guess, cite for that factor might have been how uncomfortable the team was with each other at that moment. Mm-hmm. Given that Kaylin Arnold just got to FSU, she was a transfer from the University of Tennessee. Everybody got to see how she did wonders at the University of Tennessee, but she didn't yet have that familiarity with the Florida State team. And that is definitely something that you could tell they worked on throughout the season before their loss to 
the Florida Gators. They had a seven game winning streak and you could see FSU pitching, getting more comfortable and the rotation was getting stronger. And coach Alameda was more happy to talk, you know, about her pitching crew and how these girls were doing, but it's all about getting comfortable. And in my honest opinion, I feel like we might have that transition period with the pitching, um, with the pitchers this year again when we have Danielle Watson who just you know who transferred from Louisville two years ago had to sit out due to NCAA rules and now she'll be in the lineup for Florida State after waiting but she still hasn't necessarily been out there playing with Florida State so it's all about getting comfortable with you know, with their other players, because for years and years, and even in the national championship team, FSU relied on Megan King, and all of a sudden, they were going to transition to another pitcher, and it's all about getting comfortable, just like the quarterback position, you want to be there, and know who your leader is, and that's why I feel like, you know, there's going to be a little pitching carousel for this season, but I think the girls can get get situated, get comfortable, and figure out who they want to lead that team and how they want to strike out anybody that comes in their way because this is definitely going to be another tough season. There's some ranked opponents in our schedule, and there's some road trips that's going to be happening. They have a road trip in Atlanta in a couple weeks, and it's going to be difficult considering they haven't played in a year. So to see how this team is going to go and to see how the pitching rotation is going to go is definitely going to be interesting to have Kaylin Arnold and Danielle Watson kind of, I say those two are probably going to fight for the top spot on who's going to be the ace of the team. So I'm excited to see how that goes this year. I I agree. And I think definitely having watched, um, you know, plenty of softball um, at the Plex, we've definitely seen that I, I think coach Almeida has a real, um, preference for, you know, players that have a lot of experience, you know, yeah. it was, um, you know, she was definitely, you know, when, and Megan King and even Jesse Warren back in the, um, mm-hmm. uh, national championship season, it was kind of, they were, you know, real workhorses for this team. Yeah. Um, now that's not to say that younger players, um, can't break into the lineup. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we saw Kirsten Landers just tear the cover off the ball I mean she hit 358 my gosh I mean started all but one game played in every single game Mm -hmm. um but I think that you know players that obviously have performed at a high level on a year-over-year basis um definitely uh, especially in the circle um Mm -hmm. I think that's what um coach Alameda kind of likes to she kind of likes to ride them a little bit and I think Kaylin Arnold should definitely I mean if I had to pick now would probably be um, leading the pack. Now, Erica, you mm-hmm. did bring up that first road series against um, yeah. against uh, against Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, yeah. and you kind of led me into a, a bigger question. But first, I want to just you know make note of what that road trip is. It is <laughs> it is not easy. You know, no. I think that we talk about you know. The, we're excited to see them play um, for the first time in a year. But I mean, my gosh, talk about a challenge in mm-hmm. that road trip. It is a doubleheader against uh, Georgia Tech on Thursday, then another game against Georgia Tech on Friday, a doubleheader against Virginia Tech on Saturday, and then a single game against uh, the Hokies on Sunday to close it out. So, I mean, that's six games yeah. in four days. I mean, I don't care <laughs> if you're playing a, a D3 team, that is not easy. In a different uh, city, too. 
they're not yeah, going to be absolutely. at home. They're probably not going to have fans there. It's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. No, it, it 100% will be. Mm-hmm. And it is part of the kind of pod plan that the ACC has developed to kind of limit, you know, teams traveling all over the place and, you know, limit mm-hmm. the possibility of, um, you know, COVID transmission as much as they can. But, um, you know, so I want to just, you know, how do you think this team will respond to six teams or six games in four days? And then also, you know, I was combing through this team schedule this year and I did not realize that only FSU and Virginia Tech are of teams in the ACC are ranked mm-hmm. in the top 25. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're it's an easy schedule. Uh, this team still has Arizona and Florida mm-hmm. on its um, on the slate this year. Arizona, I think, is number three. And UF is number seven. They're both in the top 10. And especially after that UF game, that is probably the, one of the worst ways that you could end a season, you know, losing that game and then having the season just stop on a dime. And, and UF has been a thorn in this team's side for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, Erica, any other um, challenges that you see in this schedule? And then how do you think that this team will respond to – kind of going zero to a hundred right there to start the season uh, with that pod pod matchup in Atlanta. Yeah. That pod matchup actually reminds me of kind of how FSU was last season. Last season, they got the ball rolling. They were playing the number one team in the nation. And then the next week they were playing more ranked opponents. And it's like within the first two weeks of their season, they're going to be traveling to Atlanta and they're going to be staying in Atlanta for about, you know, six days and they're going to be playing a ranked opponent again. They're going to be playing Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech is a really skilled softball program. So we're going to have to see FSU keeping their foot on the gas through the Joanne Graf Classic, through their little homestead. They have um, a game against Southern Miss on Tuesday. And then they head to Atlanta. And that's definitely going to be tough on the team. You know, they're going to be traveling so much and they're going to be coming together and playing Virginia Tech. That's going to be a hard game. But it's also something that can keep putting FSU on the map. Um, I noticed that FSU is also it's FSU and it's Virginia Tech that are ranked out of the ACC. But no one in their right mind is going to count out the ACC when it comes to softball. The ACC is a deep conference when it comes to so many different sports. And FSU is going to have some challenges, especially as they play all these ACC teams more often due to the COVID protocols. And, you know, they're going to want to keep us here in the ACC. They're going to be playing North Carolina. They're going to be playing Boston College and Notre Dame for extended series. And that's when we're going to have to see FSU play to their fullest potential because Making your statement in the ACC is your best bet to making your statement on the national level. As we talked about earlier, last year they ended the season 17 and 7. That's not a national championship type of schedule. I mean, type of um, in season ending record. So if they want to get back to that level, they're going to have to excel on every aspect of playing in the ACC. And especially when you know, they surpass their time with Virginia Tech and they move on. You're going to play Florida twice and then Arizona, which are amazing programs also. And Florida loves to brag about beating FSU when it comes to softball because we are two dominant programs in this state. So that's definitely going to be something fun to watch. I just, one thing that I want to just point out is that like 
seeing this in-depth ACC schedule, especially due to the COVID situation where we're not going to be traveling as much, playing four and five games against UNC and Notre Dame and Syracuse and Louisville at a time is definitely going to fatigue the team, but it's also going to give them the dominance to continue to show out in the ACC and prove where they should be standing at the end of the season on the national level. Absolutely. Yeah. And you make a great point. The ACC cannot ever be counted out. Mm -hmm. And especially looking uh, later in the year um, is when they they start to have their matchups against the teams from colder parts of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, besides the Virginia Tech um, games, they'll have uh, Boston College in late March, Notre Dame in late March, um, Syracuse in April. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even and then Pitt in May, you know, mm-hmm. so I think those teams, you know, they always kind of seem to have a, um, y- you know, it's a little harder to get the wheels off the ground just because they're having to worry about snow and, and, mm-hmm. and horrific weather all the time, it seems like. Um, and having Not that, to that... mention, I'm looking down at the schedule and Danielle Watson's going to have to face Louisville at her old yeah. home field. So that's definitely going to be a challenge for her and, you know, for the pitching rotation to see if she's going to be in that game and how she's going to fare against her old team and her old coach. Oh yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, hopefully she'll be working her way into the FSU rotation, but that'll be a whole nother element right there. Um, and then obviously having, um, the two game series against Florida and then three, uh, yeah, three games against Arizona. I mean, that's, um, anything could change a month by a month from now. But um, that's five straight games against top 10 opponents. Yeah. So, and that is, you know, obviously with Florida, everybody is going to be just, you know, jumping out of their shoes mm-hmm. to get back at the Caters after last year. So um, I think that that's definitely, you know, we got a lot to think about there. Uh, the last question that I want to um, knock over to you, um, Erica is, I mean, do you have any early predictions for who you think um, of some of these younger players? Who do you think might be ready to kind of move to the next level this year? Obviously, Kirsten mm-hmm. Landers had no problem at all uh, doing that last season. Um, I know, you know, players like uh, uh, Josie Muffley, Devin Flaherty mm-hmm. kind of started to get some more extended time. I think Kyle Lepresti was one of the, one of the yeah. ones that I was very impressed by last season. But um, any any early picks from you uh, on that uh, on that front? I just remember last year in the huge Alabama series, and we had, you know, the lead, especially in the last game when FSU completely just blew out Alabama. But I got to see we all got to see Brianna enter come in as pitcher and I just remember she did not look like a freshman when she was out there against Alabama she looked like she knew what she was doing she was focused on getting that strikeout and she did she was she's one of the pitchers I'm definitely going to look out for I know Kaylin Arnold and Danielle Watson are going to do their thing but there's going to be some freshmen and redshirt freshmen and sophomore pitchers who are also going to be out there and they're going to try to make their mark to you know, be the next generation of FSU softball queens. And also Josie Muffley, you talked about her. It was an honor getting to see how she fared last year. And I just think this team has a lot of depth when it comes to all different levels. And one thing I do want to like shout out a little bit, um, 
there's a freshman on the team. Her name is Kaylee Harding. She's actually from my hometown. And I remember seeing her play. She played our rival high school and she's a catcher. And I remember seeing her against my high school and she is good. She committed to Florida State about two years ago when she was a sophomore in high school. And she's now here at FSU and she's gonna have her shot to see how she fares against, you know, on the national level. And I'm excited to see her and the rest of this team. And Kirsten Landers is another dominant player. I got to see her last year in the Joanne Graf Classic. And she is just as resilient as the rest of these girls on this team. This team is pretty in-depth, so I'm excited to see all of them. <laughs> oh, certainly. And especially, you talk about Kaylee Harding. Um, I mean, she's a catcher. And then mm-hmm. um, this is, uh, as far as I know, Anna Shellnet's last season. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think it's between her and then you have Michaela Edenfield uh, from Sneeds, not too mm-hmm. far from Tallahassee, and Kyle Lepresti, uh, <laughs> who I mentioned. She's from my neck of the woods. Uh, she's from Brandon, Florida. Um, so I would think that they will be definitely battling it out for who is the heir, the heir apparent next mm-hmm. year to uh, Anna Shelnut. But um, I think that definitely closes it out for me in terms of what I um, – wanted to get at before we move over to women's basketball erica any closing thoughts from you no just excited for this fsu softball season and i want to see another national championship coming to tallahassee <laughs> absolutely i think yeah we're we're probably a little selfish but i can't think <laughs> of anybody that would not want to see that and, and i guess on that note i remember covering not the national championship but um the playoff series, the regionals and super regionals that FSU played mm-hmm. in 2019. And I did not realize, you know, uh, Coach Almeida said that she thought this year would be, in some respects, harder for returning players rather than new ones because they had to um, deal with not having fans in the stands. Yeah. And, you know, whereas uh, these newer players, you know, it's like, okay, this is a very atypical year, but, you know, they, they're not dealing with, you know, having nearly a thousand people screaming at them Mm -hmm. and I just remembering that those fans especially I remember South Carolina fans for whatever reason were incredibly animated (laughs) you know it is I would say softball probably on a per capita basis you know just because baseball has more fans on average attending games um, I think that softball on a per capita basis probably has the most animated fans of any sport that I have seen at Florida State you know oh, these... absolutely they're the most vocal fans there are I just remember how you know FSU the stadium it, the stadium itself would be full and then the hill overlooking so you can see the game outside of the stadium is full the parking garage people are on the top of the parking garage watching down at the game like anywhere people could watch and cheer you're gonna hear them and you're gonna see them here at FSU yeah yeah I remember at that at the regional matchup yeah I was sitting next to a guy who was uh he was covering uh or he was also covering that that series and I he made some derisive comment on Twitter about South Carolina and I had never seen parents of players get in somebody's (laughs) face like that I mean and they were you know giving him a hard time it is I mean it it is really something else you know so I for Mm -hmm. any listeners who have not you know, been to an FSU softball game, obviously that may be more difficult this year, but you know, I, I would highly recommend it. It is always mm-hmm. a great time. 
for me getting over there and it, it is really really something something yeah. to watch um now over to women's basketball erica first i want to give the floor to you i know you um wrote an article last week about your uh, about uh, coach wyckoff yeah. and i wanted to um it's definitely I, I know Steve or whoever is running the FSU women's uh, Twitter account yeah. took notice of it. it. I read it. I thought it was fantastic, but I wanted to give you some time to explain just what you were writing about. Yeah. Last week I had the opportunity to speak to coach Wyckoff about how she is handling her new role. As everyone knows, she took over for coach Sue and coach Sue decided to take off this season to care for her mother. And now coach Wyckoff was put in a position she hasn't been in before. And, but one thing remains the same in that she's a mom, she's a mother, and she's trying to figure out this thing called coaching all at the same time in a pandemic. And I had the opportunity to talk to her about how she balances these things and also balances her love for her players. That was one thing that she kept reiterating to me is that just like her daughter, she cares for her players just as much. And that completely just sent me over the edge on how much she wants this program to succeed and not necessarily in the stat sheet or in the records or the rankings. She wants these girls to succeed off the court just as much, if not more. And having that opportunity to talk to her about you know, being a woman in a sport that doesn't really cater to also balancing motherhood is really interesting. I got to talk to her about how she found community with other mothers in the coaching game of basketball. And it was just an amazing talk. And I absolutely loved getting to hear her side of the story and also ending the interview with what's going to be next for this team this team is going through a lot with a six and five record and she wants to turn that around she doesn't want to be the coach who you know kind of messes up the FSU program from how high they were last year she's trying her best as a coach but with COVID there's so many things that are going on behind the scenes and so many games that have been canceled and postponed not to mention a stacked ACC schedule that they're playing week in and week out um, so getting to talk to Coach Wyckoff just about her duties and how she's balancing that new role she has was so interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, certainly. I um, And I think you definitely did a great job of just, you know, adding that. That's always one of my favorite things to do when I've been writing for the FSU is you can kind of find that additional layer mm -hmm. of, of somebody's personality that isn't, you know, readily expressed on the court or field or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, it really adds a lot. And I, I think it's definitely, I enjoy reading those and I certainly enjoy um, writing in, in that kind of way when I have the opportunity to do mm -hmm. so. So I, I just wanted to, you know, shout out that article there that you did, Erica, because I thought it was very well done. <laughs> um, but, you know, on that note, I, 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 Definitely know that this team wants to kind of right the ship a little bit. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they had to deal with a lot of cancellations early in the season. Um, and it was definitely kind of a bumpy road after they got back into it. Also, I know that just personnel-wise, it was extremely difficult. You know, I want to make a comparison to that that game that um, – the men's team nearly played against Boston college, you know, yeah. and they were having to almost Boston college. Uh, obviously that game was postponed, 
but um, Boston College was going to have to use scout team players. And they only had eight players that were able to dress mm-hmm. for that game. And, and their head coach had said, um, okay, you know, we really would rather not play this game. They ultimately didn't, I think, because, you know, uh, there are more positive results. But, um, y- you know, and then <laughs> I, I, I may be comparing apples to oranges here. I don't want to, you know um, – <laughs> Say, you know, but I mean, I was just thinking that then you had the women's team that played two games with only eight players. I mean, Mm -hmm. just absolutely. I think you kind of saw the effects of that Mm -hmm. exhaustion from the Clemson game. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was just a a fantastic game. But, um, you know, playing eight against Louisville, you know, you almost feel like that's a (laughs) game that's decided before. That's not fair. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Louisville's number one team in the country. You know, it's just, you know kind of a perfect storm right there but um I mean still even kind of getting back to full health this team has definitely had uh more bumps in the road Mm -hmm. than they would have liked and um Erica any could you give some insight maybe into what's caused those difficulties you know I I, obviously just having enough healthy players is Mm -hmm. one thing but have have there been issues I know coach Wyckoff has talked about um and I think this was very apparent against Miami kind of issues in stopping uh, Mm -hmm. players in the paint, especially, I mean, they were outscored 48 to 14 in the paint by Miami. I mean, just my gosh. So, um, but you know, what do you think has kind of gone sideways if anything for this team, or is it just kind of a, you know, health um, issue? Yeah. One thing about that Miami game, there was a lot of things that went wrong. And honestly, the first thing that you can point to is that it was an away game. This season, FSU has not done well in away games. They are now two and five in away games. And the Miami game just kind of showed how it's been this season when they are traveling. And one thing I wanted to point out is that in the Miami game, they walked away with 23 turnovers, 23 turnovers. And it's just... So much on the defensive end on FSU needs to be worked on. Yes, they've had their moments where they've looked really good, especially just before the Miami game, they played North Carolina, and that looked like a tough FSU team. Their defense was together. Morgan Jones kept killing it, as always. But it's at some point you realize that Morgan Jones can't carry the team for everyone. And that's what she's kind of been doing this entire season. And on the defensive end, the rest of the team is not necessarily picking up the slack for her. In that Miami game with 23 turnovers, you're never going to win a game if you have 23 turnovers. You're just not. And seeing that this team can't fare well when they're traveling, when they don't have the advantage of being home, and when they don't have the potential of seeing their fans, there's something that needs to be worked on, especially if you want to make it to March. We now have the final stretch. We're going to go through a little bit of February and try to make it to March. That's what Coach Wyckoff kept saying to me. She's like, we're going to work on getting to March. And that's going to take a lot of effort on the defensive front to learn from the Louisville loss, to learn from the Clemson loss, and to learn from the latest Miami loss to say, okay, we're going to have to do our part, not just let Morgan Jones be on the offense ruling all night. We need to put up just as much on the defensive end and not let these girls get to the basket. Because in the Miami game, they made it look so easy to drive to the basket. They really did. And FSU, they it's just so much going on. And with the season having a couple ACC teams, I know Virginia women's basketball and Duke women's basketball completely opted out of the season. 
and having positive COVID tests come back. There's so much going on in this season that it feels hard for these girls to even focus on the game of basketball because it's like, we're going to practice all we can, but we're not guaranteed a game. We're not guaranteed the next game. We're not guaranteed the game after that. We're not guaranteed March. And that's one thing that I feel like keeps going through the back of these players' minds. And talking to Coach Wyckoff, she kept talking about how these players were so busy in their minds. They were overthinking things, overthinking plays, and letting these moments slip by them. During COVID, honestly, everybody, I feel like, is just grateful to even be out there. And to play a team like Louisville, who is amazing on the national front, and FSU going out there and putting up 56 points to their 84 points was not a good look on national TV. And FSU knows that, and they get into their head a lot. And that's exactly what Coach Wyckoff kept telling me, that she wants to work on with this team, and she wants them out of their head, and she wants them focused on the court. And, of course, not having Coach Sue steering the ship, because Coach Sue has been steering the ship for years, and not having her this season is going to be challenging for these girls who came there in mind thinking that she would be there. But Coach Wyckoff has been there, too. She's been there for years, too, and she's trying her best at being a coach and doing this Mm -hmm. full-time head coaching thing now. And these girls are just – they're everybody's still trying to learn how to play with each other. And on the defensive front, I just – I just – FSU, one thing – it's the girls on the other team often bully in the paint, especially in the Miami game. I watched a little bit of that game, and Miami – at certain points, we're just bullying FSU in the paint and even beyond mm-hmm. the arc. It was it was a crazy game for FSU. So I know they definitely need this four-game homestead where they get to actually keep building on their home record and maybe even toughen up their overall record. Certainly, yeah. I think being back and then having, you know, four games at home, it mm-hmm. seemed like the bulk of those uh, canceled games – were ones that would be played at the tuck and I think that you know (laughs) it was probably not how FSU would have wanted that to shake out but Mm -hmm. again there's not a whole lot that they could do about it but in in any case having a four game you know stretch hopefully it'll all be all four games that are played um, in Tallahassee where this team can kind of get comfortable not have to you know as you say be in their head as Mm -hmm. much um, I think that's just critical. Yeah. Now, I also want to touch on Tiana England coming mm-hmm. back for um, FSU because she is – there is Bianca Jackson, but Tiana England is the only true point guard on mm-hmm. this team. Um, Bianca Jackson picked up that position um, after being more of a, a shooting guard, you know, kind of playing more towards the wing – um, at South Carolina, um, on that South Carolina team that constantly seemed to give FSU fits in the NCAA tournament. And obviously she has, you know, had a lot on her plate this year with um, uh, she's had the played the second most minutes. Sammy Puisis just now moved up in front of her. I was played like two minutes more, um, but she's been really, you know, had a lot asked of her I think Mm -hmm. in picking up that new position obviously she had last season where she had to sit out but she she explained that she was kind of the leader of the scout team and so she got a lot of familiarity with just kind of calling the shots on offense Mm -hmm. but um, I think that having Tiana England back 
from that injury that had kind of sidelined her this season, mm-hmm. I think that is a much, much, much needed shot in the arm for FSU. And um, I think that, you know, it'll just take a little bit off of Bianca Jackson's plate, who has had a lot, um, you know, certainly risen to the challenge, but certain, but also at, on the same token, had a lot asked of her. And then also, I think, kind of relieve some of the offensive, I don't want to say pressure, but it, it seems like we're having more and more of these games that become the Morgan Jones show. Yeah. Um, you know, where we had not, I mean, there were games where Naj Wolfuck last year would mm-hmm. definitely really, you know, get unleashed. But I don't think that it was ever like the offense runs through her or the offense runs through Nikki Akamu mm-hmm. or Kaya Gillespie, you know, even though they would have certainly big games quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 in, the, in the past few games, obviously Morgan Jones probably is the most experienced on the team, yeah. along with Valencia Myers. But um, it really... Um, you know, I think has kind of she's had a lot to handle mm-hmm. for this offense. Her and Bianca Jackson both. So um, I wanted to, you know, maybe get your, you know, obviously besides kind of taking a load off Jackson and uh, Jones. You know, do you think that you know have you seen much of Tiana England's play before at St. John's, or mm-hmm. you know, is there anything specifically that you? you might think that she, she would add or, or um, anyone else that I haven't touched on that we should definitely be on the lookout for. Yeah. Tiana England was an assist monster when she was at St. John's. She was a true all around point guard and she's an amazing player. That's why I'm so happy to have her here at FSU. And like you were saying, we've had the Morgan Jones show for so long, but I also feel like because of the fact that we lost our big three to the WNBA draft last year, that was a huge factor of this team trying to pick off where pick up where they left off. Everybody knows FSU would have done pretty well in March Madness, but they didn't get the chance to. And Morgan Jones is left as a huge as a veteran with Courtney Weber. And I feel like Tiana can be that extra piece to make a new version of the big three for FSU. She's an amazing player. And when she was at St. John's, she absolutely killed it. And now that she has a bigger platform at Florida State to show her skills and show what she's got, I definitely think she's going to take advantage of every minute that she plays. And another person that I wanted to talk a little bit about um, is someone that I want to see do a little bit more. I know you had your fair share of covering women's college basketball last year and one person that it seemed like nobody could stop writing her name was River Baldwin and Mm -hmm. I want to see some more from her and the rest of that freshman class of last year everybody talked about how FSU was so young last year and now these girls are red shirts and sophomores and I just want to see more people of course being led by Morgan Jones because she's skilled leader and she's a proven leader but I want to see her and those younger players work with each other and talk to each other and continue to grow with each other because it seems like right now we're trying to figure out who can be that team captain that takes the lead like a Kaya Gillespie or like a Naja Wolfolk you know and and that's something that I feel like is definitely missing right now from FSU and Morgan Jones is trying her best and she's killing it on the court as a one-woman show but it's a team effort, and I want to see more of that if they want to make it into March a little bit further. 
Yeah, certainly. And I know that this team is um, really just kind of fighting tooth and nail now to, you know, play games mm-hmm. when they can. And also to kind of still be in line to um, reach that NCAA tournament and do well mm-hmm. in the ACC tournament. And one brief comparison that I want to make as we kind of, excuse me, close out our, um, or start to close out our conversation here is I think that the softball teams, the basketball teams, which we've obviously spent quite a while talking about tonight Mm -hmm. are kind of mirror images of just, you know, sports in the time of COVID, how difficult it is to, you know, just play through everything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we saw this obviously with football and basketball as well. They've had their fair share cancellations, Mm -hmm. but women's basketball, especially. Um, I know, I remember talking to Steve Stone, the uh, SID for women's basketball, and he was just, you know, kind of sharing how many, uh, you know, how difficult it was to have all these cancellations. Mm -hmm. You know, at the time we were looking at teams like Virginia and Duke that had canceled their women's basketball seasons Mm -hmm. um, and just the difficulty that came from that. Um, And now we look at softball too, and they are just, you know, despite everything that they have done, to avoid COVID results, to avoid, you know, having the virus spread through the program, mm-hmm. they still could not contend with the, you know, um, the positive result yeah. of an opponent, you know, and that is, it's, I, I think, especially that is just kind of a, a shame, even though it's a one game thing, you know, to see just what this team has been willing to put themselves through mm-hmm. to really um, stay healthy yeah. and then kind of then have to contend with that. I know um, is, is just difficult. So um, on that note, I know Erica, you know, that's definitely been all I've got to add on those two fronts. But Erica, I know that you wanted to get in um, a little bit about volleyball getting getting going here. Um, And so I want to give the floor to you for that. Yeah, on the talk of COVID, <laughs> like we were just talking about, the FSU volleyball team will be back in action in the spring after having their fall season cut short, which is absolutely crazy to say. Before the season, the fall season ended, the volleyball team had only played four games. They were one and three on the season. And before that, a positive test happened within the program, and that wiped out their fall schedule. So now they're going to be back in the spring, as the other teams will be too. This is like the the NCAA initiative of getting these teams back out there because they played a half or a quarter season in the fall. And the FSU volleyball team is definitely going to try to turn it around. However, I do think it's going to be a little – it's going to be hectic. A lot of the players on the – Tully gym volleyball team and the beach volleyball team intertwined with each other. So seeing them play at the same time is going to be crazy. And I really don't know how they're going to do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that was a team that, mm-hmm. you know, really they were, they were what one and three mm-hmm. in the fall. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was, they really just kind of seemed to be, you know, stuck in neutral even after some success last season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was really, I think, just with all of the uncertainty that they had, very, very difficult to kind of, you know, get get moving 100 percent. Yeah. Um, and so obviously I, I'm, I'm very glad to see them back. And then we'll also have men's basketball playing um, Wake Forest at home on Saturday. And I know that they will be definitely glad to, you know, break their extended spell as well of not. Um, being able to play but any any final thoughts from you Erica before we close out this episode 
No, that's all I have to say. It's just going to be a crazy spring season for all the Seminole fans. We're going to get to see so many different teams in action and hopefully have our shot at a few few natties. That'd be pretty good in Tallahassee, especially with the beach volleyball team. Always look out for the beach volleyball team. They are a team that is dominant and will always end the season at the number one or number two spot. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, I, we got a lot of sports coming here after, you know, kind of breaking the football basketball show. And um, I know women's tennis, men's tennis as well. Mm-hmm. Both of them have a lot coming up um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's obviously going to be something to watch for everybody involved. Um, everybody who follows FSU sports. But um, on that note, this has been another episode of Talk and Chop, the official podcast of the FSU and Florida Flambeau, which is FSU's official student newspaper. Um, uh, Erica, I was glad to have you on once again. And um, I know you're always a pleasure to talk to um, on the podcast and off. <laughs> so um, with, on that note, you can find Erica and I's work um, in the white boxes on campus um, weekly, beginning on Mondays, and then you can find it 24-7 online. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in.